Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast coming to you during the All-Star break. Pistons are now done playing basketball for a little bit. We will see Andre Drummond in a few nights in the dunk contest and also wearing the Eastern Conference All-Star jersey. Uh, jersey he was given last night as part of the festivities for the Chauncey Billups retirement ceremony. So we have a lot to cover on this episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you, everyone, for continuing to support this podcast finding it on DetroitBadBoys.com, finding and subscribing to it on iTunes. The support and the numbers we're getting out of the last few episodes are just so fantastic. So I just want to thank everyone for, for doing that and uh, for listening to this thing that Ben and I do every week. So, Ben, let's let's get rolling with another episode. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm pumped about the dunk contest for the first time in forever. So, really looking forward to this weekend. And also right. joining us for this episode is Gabe FB, as he is known uh, to all of you on DetroitBadBoys.com. Gabe, how are you? I'm terrific. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's talk about a bit of what we saw last night, because I thought the retirement ceremony for Chauncey Billups and seeing the number one jersey go into the rafters was such a cool moment. And, and both of the retirement ceremonies for Ben and for Chauncey, I feel like have been so well done. Uh, not sure if either of you guys got to see uh, the game last night. Uh, the game itself was kind of a dud. But, Ben, what did you think of the Chauncey retirement ceremony? Man, I loved it. I, I think the franchise did just an amazing job this year uh, with both Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups. Classy from start to finish. Baja was kind of the perfect way to pick it uh, to kick it off both times. And then last night, I really loved what Rip had to say. I think he spoke a, a very heartfelt message, and, and then I think the highlight was when uh, Chauncey got to speak, and I think for a lot of people they'd agree with this. He's always in forever a piston, and I just got goosebumps when I heard that. It was I was fanboying out right there. That was, you know, just a really special night for the fans, and of course for for the players as well. Yeah, and for anyone who might have missed uh, just another piece of this, the letter that Chauncey Billups wrote on the Players Tribune that he wrote to uh, his his former self, that he wrote to his old self about uh, his times in Boston and Minnesota and struggling as kind of a journeyman to get to Detroit uh, was just fantastic. He's someone that uh, I've really respected uh, as I've, I've seen him as an analyst and on television. But you're right, I think the guy who stole the show last night was Rip Hamilton. So, Gabe, I think the next question and the question I've seen on, on Detroit Bad Boys and on Twitter uh, – all kind of centers around Rip Hamilton. Do you think Rip's jersey, do, should we retire number 32 for, for Rip Hamilton? I mean, personally, I think you have to at this point. I mean, he sealed it with the speech he gave. I, I really felt like I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game live, but I watched the retirement ceremony on YouTube. And, I mean, the emotion and just pretty much everything, like the love that he had for that whole team brought it home for me. I mean, you could you could make an argument that Chauncey and Big Ben were definitely the key players on that team. Um, but it's hard to remove any member of that starting five. And, and I don't know, I just, I definitely feel pretty connected to Rip's just sort of style of play and everything being so central to that team and how it worked. Uh, so I would, I definitely would support his, his jersey being up there too, personally. Yeah, I think, I think I'm inclined to agree. I think the knock against, maybe someone like Rashid, for example, is that he wasn't a Piston for long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at Rip, and especially, you know, he was the scorer for that team. And when you look at where he 
ranks in terms of the all-time scoring for the franchise and then also in the playoffs. You know, if you're going to if you're going to retire um Chauncey and Big Ben, I agree if Gabe, those are really the two most important players. But if there's a third player on the periphery uh, who was most important, I would say it's Rick. Um, so I would say, yeah, probably just a matter of time. Um, and, and I hope they do it. I think he is deserving of it. Yeah. And Ben, I have heard, uh, I talked about this with uh, um, Andre Douglas, who's been on the show before. Uh, you know, if you retire Rip Hamilton, why not retire <laughs> Tayshon and Rashid? <laughs> So why, why, I guess, Rip and not anyone else from those going to work days? Yeah, from my perspective, that would be that where, where Rip sits in terms of the all-time scoring for the franchise. Okay. I think, you know, she, he, just, he, was a, he was a key player, obviously. There's no question about it. But I'm not sure he was a Piston long enough. And then I, I think, really, by the end of his tenure with the Pistons, he was really starting to decline pretty pretty severely. So I think for me, the all-time scoring marks would be what would put Rip over the top as opposed to Sheed and Tayshon. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that was conspicuous about last night is as well done as the entire uh, retirement ceremonies have been for Big Ben and for Chauncey was the guy who put this team together, Joe Dumars. And and I know we, we kind of mentioned it in talking about prep for the show, Joe, Dumar, Joe Dumars not being a part of these ceremonies. Do you think that's done with a bad taste in the mouth from the organization standpoint with how his time finished as GM? Or is it just that he hasn't been available, like we've been told? Like, what do you read into that, Ben, with Joe not being a part of these ceremonies? Yeah, I guess I would probably read into it. There's probably a little bit of mutual mutual um, dissatisfaction, I guess, would maybe be the word. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, Joe coming back to share a stage with the current owner who, you know, essentially fired him without firing off, didn't renew his contract. And I can imagine that being tense and I can imagine Joe maybe not wanting to steal the spotlight from the players and, and making a scene. He's always been such a classy GM. Everything he has done on the public facing side of the things, um, just very classy individual. So I could see him maybe not wanting to detract and take attention away uh, and I could see that on the flip side of the conversation as well. I, I think it's unfortunate. Uh, as much as I criticized Joe Dumars for the last several years in Detroit as a GM, there's just no denying the success that he had putting together that going-to-work team. So, yeah, the only bad part about these two ceremonies was Joe Dean not being there, in my opinion. Yeah, especially with Isaiah having a part in both and even speaking uh, during these these championship retirement ceremonies, I just feel like Joe is such a big part of the history. It's it's strange not having him there, but I think you're right. I think I can understand that there's probably some bad blood there. And with the role that Tom Gores plays in this, and Gabe, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, is that maybe the <laughs> is that maybe the reason? Because Gores is kind of front and center. He doesn't want people to remember the <laughs> uh, how bad the basketball had been, you know, in seasons prior to this one. <laughs> I think that's actually a pretty good theory. I mean, I I was surprised how central he was in the in the Billups uh, retirement ceremony, just third jersey retirement ceremony, just because. I mean, he. I don't think that they ever overlapped. Um, so that's yeah. I think that's that's probably the best theory that I could come up with as as well. And I totally agree with Ben that it does seem like a very Joe Dumars move. Uh, to not want to take you know any of the attention off of Chauncey because he's such like a low key, um, quiet kind of presence. Um, 
so that that makes total total sense for sure. Yeah, definitely. I I wonder too if it had anything to do with his connection to New Orleans, but I'm not really sure what that connection is right now. Ben, do you, is he involved with the organization in the Pelicans, or has it just been rumors? You know, I honestly don't know. I paid a lot of attention when the rumors started swirling, but it's kind of fell off my radar, especially with how poor that team has performed this year. I I honestly don't know the situation there. Yeah, I think the last thing I heard was he was likely to sometime, maybe in the future, assume control. It, it seems like it was a foregone conclusion that never really came to fruition, which is kind of strange. But I do wish him luck if he does have anything to do with the future of the Pelicans. Uh, I, I wish him luck. And you're right, we have to give credit to the man who gave us that gave us that starting five, that gave us the championship in 04 and gave us you know six straight Eastern Conference Finals appearances. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially there's some stuff floating around Twitter actually right now as we're talking about how good Joe Dumars was as a GM for the Pistons. Major free agent blunders. I think, you know, when he was giving out big contracts, they tended to be relatively poor over the last several years. But he was fantastic in the draft. Um, he w- he found some incredible value given where, the, where uh, he was drafting. And, you know, obviously putting together the going-to-work team, he had a very clear vision. I think he benefited from players improving maybe a little more than he thought they would. But every championship GM gets that sort of good break so that's very true uh, yeah it's part of the fact that I, the last few years of his tenure are really tough there he deserves a lot of credit he definitely does well just speaking of really tough i'll make a really terrible transition <laughs> to talk about the current pistons and how they've been playing recently uh the the game last night against the nuggets i thought I, it's too early to call games a must win uh, but then once I saw all of the injuries, I quickly got away from calling the Nuggets game a must win. But I kind of went into this week thinking if we could split games and, you know, lose probably to the Raptors and beat the Nuggets, that would be okay to go into the break. But going into the break with, with those two losses, I think is really tough. Ben, what have you seen from the team, especially given the injuries, uh, to give you any sense of what the second half of the season is going to be like now? So kind of the opposite of what we were expecting to happen when Jennings returned is happening. Yeah. I, I kind of expected him to push us over the top. And I don't think he's to blame for the recent struggles, but that hasn't happened at all. I mean, you, you look back to the 1st of January, 2nd of January, we, we opened the opened the year with a loss to the Pacers. And since it's, it's been a struggle. Um, the defense has, has started to show some of its flaws after being really fantastic for the first couple months of the season. And then, of course, the, the most recent couple games, I expected us to struggle without KCP. We just don't have an option behind him at shooting guard. And then uh, I think Jennings played well, uh, relatively well against the Nuggets. But, I mean, when you look at the rotation we put on the court last night, eight guys deep, and the eighth guy in that rotation is Steve Blake. And when that's happening, you know things aren't <laughs> going to go very well. No offense to Steve, but you, you just got to expect some struggles when you're in that situation. Yeah, Gabe, what about you? What have you seen recently, and, and what do you take away from it going into uh, the the end of the season here, the next 30-plus games? I mean, to be honest, I'm a little – I'm actually a little nervous. I I think I was one of the most optimistic people going into the season. I think I might have picked them to win the most games of anyone in our 
original Detroit bad boys kind of uh, pick them contest at the beginning of the season, I, I was I was pretty confident of something approaching 50 wins, and that doesn't look like that's going to happen at all. Um, the thing that I guess worries me the most is, like I, I guess like Ben said, the, the defense does seem like it's starting to struggle a little bit, but the offense is just very uh not advanced i guess it doesn't doesn't really seem like an nba like a modern nba offense and just looking at the stats <clears throat> they basically don't get any easy points like the three point percentage is definitely towards the very bottom of the league and of course free throw percentage is literally the bottom of the league so long way of saying i'm a little nervous and the the return of um, Brandon Jennings, I think, I mean, I'm kind of hoping that they start to run out uh, like a two point guard thing a little bit more. Cause that seems like that might just be pretty much all they have with, uh, with the injuries and just take the hit on the de- defensive side, just to try to spruce up the offense a little bit. I mean, that's, that's probably what I would want to see just, just to change things up and see if that, see if that helps. But uh I don't know. I'm I'm starting to become a little more pessimistic than I was I was hoping I'd be at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely I don't want to say I'm losing faith because I, I do still see this team as a really where I saw them at the beginning of the season, somewhere between the sixth and eighth seed. Uh, and that's still in sight. You know, a twenty seven and twenty seven record. If we play you know, five hundred basketball rest of the season and we end close to forty wins, I think there's a chance that we're we're in the playoffs. Uh, but I, I think we had gotten so optimistic, Ben, and I, I know there are episodes of this podcast where we were really excited about this season and beyond. So I think now we got to talk about where this team goes from here because there's there's quite a bit going on and, and, and quite a few things to, to break down about what's really happening with our Pistons. Um, so one thing that I wanted to talk about was Stan Van Gundy's rotation. Uh, one thing we know every night is basically what to expect. Uh, you know, we know the nine guys we're going to see. The minutes have been pretty consistent, barring injury. Uh, and really, those injuries have only been recently that have kind of changed his, ro- ro- hit, changed his rotation. Wow, okay. That have changed his rotation. Um, so how much of this, Ben, is just attrition and the fact that the eight to nine guys we're using any given night is just not not going to hold up for 82 games. Do you see yeah, that? I've talked a little bit about progressive fatigue, it, and that concerns me because we have had such a short rotation. I mean, we have, on any given night, several guys playing 35 to 40 minutes a game, and I think over the long term, that's definitely a concern. So I have to think that progressive fatigue is a factor. Um, but I'm not pushing the panic button personally. I mean, I think... Right now, if you pull up the standings, I think we're a half game out of the playoffs. And I don't I don't remember the last time we were out of the playoffs. I think we've been in the top eight for almost uh, the majority of the season. So I'm not pushing the panic button, but I'm also a little bit concerned. I'm, I'm concerned that Jennings hasn't pushed the squad forward because I thought, you know, it's got to be an upgrade over Steve Blake, and that's got to help the team win. But, you know, we really haven't seen that. Um, I think – some of the holes in Andre Drummond's game have been exposed a little bit more of late. You know, he started off kind of on a 2020 tear, and I think teams have done a little bit of better job of accounting for him and um, really making his life difficult on the offensive side of the ball. And then our shooting has been so poor. 
Gabe mentioned we were near the bottom in terms of the three-point shooting. Um, not at all what we expected. I I was really hopeful over the first 20 to 30 games that maybe this is just a team-wide cold stretch and we're going to get hot and going into the break, we're going to start knocking down dots. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case either. We've had a, a few great games of shooting here and there, but those have been isolated events. And I think Gabe is right. I think the off that Van Gundy has been putting out there is incredibly simple and probably simple to a fault to the point where essentially what you need to do as a defense is account for the Reggie Andre pick and roll. And you can basically leave everyone else pretty much open except for Morris, but only when Morris has the ball because it's either a pick and roll or an ISO for Morris. And that's just about all the Pistons have. So hopefully the all-star break is an opportunity one to get healthy two to get rested because I do, I do think fatigue is an issue. Mm-hmm. And then three, I have to get some good practices in um, to revamp some offensive schemes because I, I think it's gotten very stagnant, and I, I think they've been really easy to cover uh, for opposing NBA defenses. Well, I mean, the only thing that I would add is just, I guess, now that there's been, what, 53 games played, the Marcus Morris, my, I, I really loved what I've seen from him on the defensive side, but offensively, your small forward shooting 30% from three is just tanking the offense, uh, in my opinion. I mean, I, I read a lot of, you know, and, and I've probably said this as well in a comment at some point that, you know, the idea of, of eventually moving him to power forward seems appealing down the line. But just looking at his stats compared to Ilya Sova, Ilya Sova shooting 36% from three, and it's pretty much outperforming Morris in all statistical measures. So it's just kind of, one of those things where I, I feel like he just has to either pick it up or the Pistons take the hit on the defensive end also with play him a little bit less and see if they can get somebody out there that can just hit shots just to open things up. Yeah, and it does seem like we're always talking about those forward positions. And I know that on this podcast we talk so often about the need for a stretch four and you know needing that offense from that position. But Gabe, you're right. We are kind of getting that from Ilyasova. Uh, it seems that it's the defense at the forward spots that has been an issue. Uh, and I saw today through Detroit Bad Boys Twitter account and Sean Core talking about how maybe it's not a stretch four that we need. Maybe we need a defensive-minded forward, someone we can pair and complement with Andre Drummond, who maybe is stretchy enough to kind of look like a Serge Ibaka. Ben, mm-hmm. is, that, is that something that would interest you, or do you still want a, a, a sharpshooting type of stretch four? I want us to have three three-point shooters on the floor at any given time. Where that comes from is less important to me than actually having three people who can do that. So yeah. for me, it's fine. It, Reggie's three-point shot has improved enough this season where you actually have to respect his shot. In fact, he could probably take a few more threes than he takes. So if you've got shooting from him, give me the two, the three, and the four. Give me two of those three positions, guys who can shoot 34 to 36% from deep. And I'll be happy regardless of what position they play on the floor. Because I think if you've got three shooters, you've created space for the pick and roll. You've created space for Drummond cutting to the basket. And you've given Reggie Jackson an outlet if he gets into the lane and Dre's not open. And right now, everything, we've got the same problem we had a year ago, which is no space for a ball handler to operate, which we didn't expect that, but that's what we're seeing. So give me, give me three guys who can shoot. And I don't really care what position they play. 
So are you looking for us to play similar to how the Clippers have been playing without Blake Griffin? Yeah, that would be fair. Yeah. That would be fair. I mean, Reggie's no Chris Paul, but similar styles of play. I mean, dribble heavy, not in a bad way, in a good way, good at getting to the basket. And Reggie's been really good at finding players. They just haven't been hitting their shots. So, yeah, I think that's a fair I think that's a fair analogy because the Chris Paul, uh, DeAndre Jordan pick and roll is awfully similar to what we're doing. Just a piggyback, uh, I mean, Reggie Jackson is hitting 37% on threes. I mean, I, I'd said as soon as he got above 35% that I would love to just see him start to jack threes as soon as people go under on pick and rolls, just <laughs> just to create the threat of that. Because right now, I mean, that's that's how people defend it. And he's, I think, basically the highest, he's got the highest percentage on the whole team, if I'm reading it correctly. Yeah, uh, so he may as well, you know, he may as well, and, and just see see if that jogs things loose and opens up the pick and like the the role for Drummond more and and everything else. Yeah, um, and, and I guess I'll, I'll ask both of you this. So with the return of Brandon Jennings, uh, and this was an, another thing I picked up during last night's, uh, or excuse me, during the Nuggets game. Something I picked up from Twitter, people asking about trading Brandon Jennings to improve the three-point shooting uh, next to Reggie Jackson, finding someone we can we can put on the floor at the same time as Reggie Jackson uh, for Brandon Jennings. Is that something that, for this season, would be helpful, Ben? Is that something that you would want as trading Jennings for a, a shooter? Um, I, I think that's a pretty significant trade-off because... I am worried about Jackson's fatigue. I've talked about that multiple times. Yeah. I, I'm not confident in Steve Blake as the second point guard. I think you need a secondary ball handler. So if you could find the perfect shooting guard who can shoot the three when he's open and handle the ball for Brandon Jennings, then by all means do it. But I, I'm not sure that such a trade exists. I mean, the two guards who can do that are starting and making, you know, $15 million a year. So right. to me, oh man, that feels like you're sort of, I don't know, you're, you're letting an awful lot ride on Reggie Jackson and just hoping he he doesn't tweak an ankle or something like that. Because if you lose him for 10 games and you don't have someone other than Steve Blake backing him up, I think you can pretty much kiss the playoffs goodbye, personally. Wow. Okay. Um, Gabe, do you agree with that? Is in And just kind of your thoughts about the, the trade idea. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think the the team is so completely built around that pick and roll with Jackson and Drummond that having having Jennings as an insurance policy is incredibly crucial. I think, uh, and he's already shown that he can lead the team to a pretty you know to pretty good results. So, I would if I was Stan Van Gundy, I'd feel pretty nervous about trading him for a shooter <laughs> definitely this season. And, you know, and I, I would obviously that it's been discussed a lot on the website, but just, I would, I would open up the checkbook and, and try to get him back just cause I think it's, it's such a logical fit. I think also we just have not seen very much of Jackson things out there at the same time. And to me, that's surprising because, Stanley Johnson has not been a very good shooter. He's had his moments, but he has not been a very good shooter. It would seem like, you know, 
something you'd want to try, given how much the backcourt has struggled to shoot the ball, at least at the, at the two-guard position. I know that it's not an ideal pairing. It's not how you would put a backcourt together if you were starting from scratch. But I would try it. I would try it for 10 to 15 minutes a game because I just have to think either Jennings or Jackson at the two-guard spot is going to be better than what we've been getting out of um, Stanley Johnson in KCP's absence. And to, to kind of highlight the point about maybe losing somebody for five to ten games, someone as important as Reggie Jackson, I mean, look how the team has performed without KCP, yeah. who obviously a critical defender, not as good of an offensive player, but look how much we've struggled in his absence. Then think about Reggie Jackson, who in my opinion is probably a much more significant player than KCP. I don't, I don't think it's a winning team if you just have Brandon Jennings and Steve Blake running the point guard slot. So to me, I, I don't know, trading – Trading Jennings for someone who can't handle the ball would be a, it would be a huge gamble in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. And, I, and you're right. I'm surprised we have still not really seen the the Jennings Jackson pairing in the backcourt, especially given when Stan Van Gundy talks about how he likes that KCP has improved with the ball in his hands and that's so important for this offense. Why not put a guard in that spot next to Reggie Jackson who can handle? Uh, and can create offense when it breaks down. So we don't have those uh, those moments offensively when we're left with either Reggie Jackson having to create something or a Marcus Morris ISO that his ha- hasn't had quite the success it did early in the season. If it's stubbornness on the part of Stan Van Gundy or something maybe that he sees in practice that we just don't have the benefit of seeing. Yeah, I think defensively it's definitely a liability. Yeah. I mean, Jennings is not built to cover two guards and and Jackson really isn't either. He's probably a better matchup for most two guards on the defensive side of the ball. So that, that would be my guess is that he just doesn't like that defensive look. We got some questions through the ask DBB mailbag. Uh, we had some people send in questions through Twitter, Facebook, as well as DetroitBadBoys.com. So uh, I think I'll open it up to each of you with some questions since we're getting to the point of the podcast where we're, we're really just trying to dissect this team. Uh, I'll open it up to everyone else. So we've got a question here from at NickBomb18 on Twitter. Ben, if I told you right now the Pistons would get the eighth seed, would you be happy or not and why? Yes, Absolutely. Eight seed is the playoffs. I mean, I, I would like to play someone other than Cleveland because I think we could potentially scare Atlanta or Toronto if we shoot the ball well for four games. Um, but, yeah, I'd be happy. It's a, It would be a huge step in the right direction. Um, I think it would vindicate Stan Van Gundy, who's taken, I think, a lot more criticism than he deserves from a lot of the fans. Um, yeah, I'd absolutely be happy with it. Uh, a step t- toward the playoffs and a step into the playoffs is a huge step. We haven't been there we haven't had a winning record for the better part of a decade. And I think it's going to take a winning record to get to the eighth seed. So I'd take it in a heartbeat. I'd be happy with it. And and then I'd, you know, be hoping for two games against Cleveland. And yeah, I'd absolutely be satisfied with that. Gabe, are you happy with the eighth seed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally happy. I mean, they're obviously once you're in the, in the playoffs, anything can happen. So that's, that's the first thing. And then second thing is just, the experience, I don't think there's any question that it can help. I mean, you never know. Indiana, for years and years, was just you know, a, a low seed in the playoffs, and they had a young core that just suddenly exploded into being a contender. Um, that was the Roy Hibbert team. But uh, 
But I mean, I think with the Pistons score, that that little bit of extra experience in the playoffs, even if even if they get you know kind of wiped out by Cleveland, I don't I don't think there's any question that it could help uh, long term, and it would be just cool to see playoff games uh, in Detroit again. Yeah, I mean, beggars can't be choosers, right? We've been terrible <laughs> for what well, seems like forever. I would love to be playing in the playoffs. Just watching, just seeing the Pistons jerseys during playoff time would be a, a huge accomplishment to me. But sort of one other thought I had around this is I think that the, this last four weeks of basketball is probably also a very good reality check for the long-term expectations for this core group of players. Because I think early on, they were probably overachieving a little bit. They looked like they might be capable of sneaking into the fourth seed or doing something crazy and getting to the third seed. And we've even talked on the podcast, how many pieces are we away from really talking about contending for the Eastern Conference Championship? In some ways, I think this reality check is a good thing now because I think it shows there's probably a few more small holes in the roster than we were willing to admit to ourselves when we were playing really, really well, playing to the to the best of the, the team's capabilities. So from the big picture, long-term perspective, a struggle stretch like this can actually be an opportunity to identify places for improvement. Yeah, you're right. And we can't lose that perspective that this is still a team that has been struggling recently. We have the longest playoff drought in the Eastern Conference. So Ben, you're right. If, if we can just get in, that that to me is good enough because I think that playoff experience would be so great for so many of the players that on a roster have not been there before. I think it's important for Reggie Jackson as a starter. It's important for yeah. KCP and Drummond to get that experience. And I also think it's important for this team to see Ilya Sova and Marcus Morris in matchups, even if it's Cleveland, but to see postseason matchups, get a seven-game series, to get a good snapshot of what this team looks like if the future includes both of them in the starting rotation. Totally. I mean, I think, and just to sort of jump off from that, I mean, I I think it's it would be a great test just to see if a Drummond kind of led team, what what kind of uh, damage they could do, even even with all the pieces not totally put in place yet. I mean, I, I'm remembering uh, a Zach Lowe piece about the Golden State Warriors uh, just putting a scare into San Antonio and not, not winning the series, but just putting a scare into them in the playoffs. And that that was what kind of inspired them to really – uh, to really make the moves to put the rest of that roster together the way that they did, because they they were just so convinced that from that series, uh, a Steph Curry led team could could take you know take it down the you know take it all the way to the championship. So so yeah. I'd be I'd be just curious to see it just from that perspective. That's very true. Yeah, just to get an idea of this team's honest championship hopes, if if that's part of what we're building here. You're right to see if, if Andre Drummond is is enough to be the leader of a championship t- uh, a championship squad, and I have a feeling it would really change our off season. The difference, even if it's one spot, the eighth and the ninth seed, if we're having to pick who's representing us at the draft lottery, or we are getting ready for a, a series with Cleveland in the in the playoffs, I think that can really change what that team does in free agency and in the draft uh, to to continue to build that squad. I agree, and I think there's, for whatever reason, there's this pessimism among Detroit fans about free agents coming to Detroit. And to some degree, I get it, because I think all things being equal, if, a, if an NBA free agent is going to choose between two teams who have won 50 games and one of them's in Florida and one of them is in Michigan, they're probably going to choose Florida. But I think you can make a pretty strong case that when you look at 
around the mid-level exception, when you're looking at that caliber of a player, those kinds of players go to teams that win if the money's the same. And so I think making the playoffs in Van Gundy's second year sends a message to the rest of the NBA and to players who who are going to be choosing where they want to spend the next two to three years of their careers. So I wouldn't discount um, making the playoffs as a key factor in our ability to attract the types of players that we're going to need to make a run at the sixth seed and then the four seed and then the two seed. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, And just to extend this out to just what the Eastern Conference looks like right now, for anyone who's, and, and, and if you're a Pistons fan, I can understand you pushing the panic button right now. But this NBA season, especially in the Eastern Conference, has kind of gone in waves. And we're just on the wrong end of one right now. And you look at the rest of the conference, you've got Cleveland, Toronto, Boston, each winning eight of their last ten. Charlotte has been much better uh, in 2016 than I expected them to be. You know, Indiana has been, been, I know both of us didn't really expect this to continue with Indiana. So I just feel like there are some teams that are performing beyond what I expected from them right now, and then we're just kind of in a rut. So I feel like that can switch. I don't know if Boston is, is going to win 50 games like they're on track to do right now. So I feel like some of those things can smooth out, and hopefully we can just you know get back in that position where the playoffs are as certain as they felt in December. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Charlotte is a very volatile team right now. They've been up and down throughout the whole season. And I think... When you look at the standings just today in isolation, it's easy to feel pessimistic. But right now, we're in a we're playing some bad basketball. We're going to be better than this, and we have key injuries. So I, I don't think the team is destined to play sub five hundred basketball for the rest of the year by any stretch. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, moving on to the next question, Gabe. We'll start with you on this one. We got this uh, on Twitter from at Bees in Your Face. It's a great name. Uh, <laughs> Potential aside, has Drummond shown enough improvement to warrant getting paid max despite glaring issues in his game? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's there's no real there's no way to answer that other than I mean, of course, because how many players in the NBA are capable of pulling down a single twenty twenty game and he's got however many he's got. I mean, that alone, that that kind of upside and that level of production already at the age of 22 is arguably unmatched in the NBA other than maybe with Anthony Davis. And so that, you know, there's, there's no question. He's a max, he's a max player right now. He was a max player last year. He was a max player two years ago and he will, I mean, barring something catastrophic, be a max player probably until the day he retires. I totally agree. He's a max player. Um, Especially when you're thinking about trying to retain a player of his caliber um, who are you going to go out and get in free agency that is capable of doing what Andre Drummond does for the money? And I think the answer to that is no one. I think the reason there are question marks about that right now has as much to do with the way that he's being used on the offensive side of the ball mm-hmm. as anything else. I think Van Gundy's long, his long game has been to spend last year and this year and maybe even some of next year trying to figure out what the upper limit is on Andre's post game uh, in terms of offense. If Andre Drummond were not a centerpiece of the offense, if he were used more like DeAndre Jordan or like a Tyson Chandler, I don't think anybody would be, would be thinking twice about 
giving him a max contract. I think the way that he's being used right now, coupled with the, the bang-a-drum, hack-a-drum and stuff, highlights some of the weaknesses in his game that otherwise we wouldn't necessarily see. I mean, the reality is this team doesn't have a lot of offensive options, unfortunately. You've got the pick-and-roll, you've got Marcus Morris isos, and then you've got Andre Drummond as the third option in the post. And I think in an ideal world, you'd want him to be the fourth or fifth option in the post. You'd want to see him on the offensive rebounding, putbacks. You'd want to see him catching lobs. And then you'd want to have one or two other guys who are capable of initiating their own sort of offense. So, yeah, to me, he's a match player. There's no question about it. I don't think his offense is as good as you'd want it to be for a max player. Mm-hmm. But I think some of that is usage. I think if you add some weapons to this team on the offensive side of the ball, you can minimize his role a little bit, and his efficiency is going to jump back up to where we would have expected it to be um, maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think the the thing with him that can be frustrating is that he doesn't seem to have the mean streak that somebody like a Shaq did, where if there was a guy standing in between him and the rim, and that guy was within the little you know area where you can basically kill them, he would kill them. And Drummond is much more a like, let me try to dance around and float something up. Uh, but even with that, you know, he's he's probably aside from. DeAndre Jordan, the best, you know, pick and roll finisher in the league. And there's nobody else who you can dependably say is like capable of a 20 rebound night on any given, with any given matchup. So, so, you know, he's even with, even with his very obvious weaknesses and it's weaknesses are more obvious than somebody that's seven feet tall and 300 pounds or whatever he is. Uh, But even with those, he's, he's an incredibly unique and valuable and productive player. Yeah, and Ben, I, I think about what you said, and it's kind of stuck with me, you know, the, the three aspects of the game, when you have the ball, when the opponent has the ball, and when no one has the ball. Has Andre been good enough this season when the opponent has the ball? Has he been good enough on defense to warrant a max contract? If he were not a dominant rebounder, I would have some concerns. But I do think his defense has improved this year. Yeah. I think the thing that gets overlooked that he does very well is play passing lanes and generate steals. He's not a dominant shot blocker necessarily. He's adequate. He's not, um, he's not the best team defender in the world. But he's actually really good at playing passing lanes. That's something Ben Wallace was really good at as well. And steals almost always turn into easy buckets. So I, I give him credit there. I'd like to see him be better at um, two things on the defensive side of the ball. The first one is I think he's too passive when he's covering the pick and roll. I think he's probably worried about foul trouble. And as a result, he's, he's really cautious out on the perimeter sometimes. Mm-hmm. He's got the tools to be pretty aggressive in the pick and roll, in my opinion, and really frustrate some, uh, some of the point guards uh, in the area because he, he's so quick laterally. Uh, and I, I think that's uh, deceptive how quick he is. And then the second thing is I think he gets lost – um, when there's two or three rotations defensively. I think he does a pretty good job of making the first rotation and recognizing when it's time to rotate. But then if the ball swings back again and he's got to make a second rotation or a third rotation out off the ball, he gets lost. Um, some of that I think you can attribute to the fact that he's still 22. And Stan Van Gundy's probably the first coach that he's had uh, who was actually competent and capable of teaching those things. So I think there's room for improvement there. But those are the two things defensively. If he can improve in both of those areas, I would be very happy with Andre Drummond as a team defender, 
not not the best defender in the NBA, not on an all-NBA defensive team, but a very competent team defender if he improves in those two areas. Yeah, and just putting together what both of you have said about him, kind of at both ends of the floor, I, I get frustrated sometimes watching him play because I want him to be more of a bull in a china shop. I'm not yeah. expecting him to have the the strength and body control sometimes that you saw from Shaq that was always kind of strange to see, but I'm not sure why he goes to that finesse in his game uh, and why I don't see more of the moments when he just does get aggressive, even if it means he's out of position defensively or you know draws something offensively or puts up a brick. I think I would rather see that sometimes. So I wonder how much of it is just his growing confidence in the game and just the growing confidence in his in his body and as the leader of a team. I, I feel like we still have more to see from him, and that's why you give him a max contract because you're seeing someone who's playing at an all-star level that probably still has more to give you. That's worthy of a max contract. You know, No, no matter the number, I, I think that's it's worth seeing, but... I think there are times I wish he would just think less and just just do more, you know, just like a, you know, just shoot sometimes, just make those quicker, aggressive decisions. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Um, To put this in some context, he's averaging 18 points, almost like almost 16 boards, 15.9 rebounds a game, Mm. just shy of two steals and one and a half blocks. And he's gotten his fouls under control. He's only fouling 3.3 times per game. Just those raw numbers. He's shooting 52% from the field, by the way, as well. Hmm. Those numbers are extraordinarily hard to find in the NBA at any given time. I mean, that 18 and 16, that is ridiculously good. The thing that's holding him back is free throws. And as much as I've argued, I don't think the NBA needs to change the rule. They're probably going to change the rule. And so one of Andre's biggest weaknesses, free throw shooting, is very likely to get mitigated by the time he's rolling into his prime. So I think you absolutely max him out. You absolutely keep him. You absolutely keep him (laughs) happy because guys who can put up 18 and 16 over the course of 54 NBA games are once in a generation kind of player. Yes, definitely. And to pick up on part of what you just talked about, the the change in free throw rules. And uh, Adam Silver recently did some media rounds and actually did some rounds on podcasts. I'm still waiting for him to accept the invitation to come on this one. But yeah, really? yeah come on. Uh, it's got to be the most uh, popular team-specific NBA podcast. That's worth something, Adam Silver. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he uh, he's talked about changing the rule, changing the, the intentional foul rule, um, you know, how it slows down the game, kind of the issues he has with it. Gabe, we haven't got your opinion on this. It's something we've talked about before on the podcast. Uh, what do you think of Adam Silver coming out and saying that we, we expect to see a change in that rule? And do you want to see a change in the rule? I mean, I guess it's, it's tough to say. I think conceptually, no, because I don't think changing the rule really makes any sense per se. But as a Pistons fan, selfishly, I'm fine with it. I mean, in a way, it's it's kind of funny that Andre has stayed so bad as a free throw shooter that it might end up just being almost good because if they do change the rule, like you said, it's gonna it's gonna be an incredible kind of boon to his overall productivity. Uh, but you know, in all honesty, I, I the the intentional fouls never really bothered me because it does just seem as if it's such a natural part of the game, and it does seem like the players that are so bad at free throws could, you know, could go to something like an underhand <laughs> uh, toss 
and and improve. So so it's kind of on them, in my, in my opinion, to just to have kind of a tough love approach. But but as a Pistons fan, I I will definitely accept the extra wins that it might provide, <laughs> without a doubt. I agree with you. As a Pistons fan, I, I've started to change my opinion. I, I think I said before on here that uh, the minute it costs us a, a game in the playoffs, <laughs> I immediately will want a rule change if something like that were to happen. Uh, so let's move on. We've got one more question in the mailbag to get to. Uh, coming from uh, coming from Twitter, from at underscore Alex Smith. Uh, probably difficult to have a name like Alex Smith. Uh, <laughs> so I understand the, the underscore. At underscore Alex Smith asks, do you think... The latest defensive woes in losing will convince SVG that there are moves to be made before the deadline. Uh, ben, I'll have you take that one first. Nope. I think SVG is playing the long game. I think he wants to make the playoffs this year, but I don't think he's going to make a trade unless it is too good to pass up. I think you wait for Jody Meeks to get healthy, you wait for KCP to get healthy, and you're very, very likely to be in the sixth grade seed and going into the playoffs. And I think you roll into free agency with a whole bunch of money to spend and a handful of really team-friendly contracts um, that could work out really well in terms of lopsided trades. So the Pistons, I think, will be in a really nice position. They'll they'll have made playoffs, hopefully, and and likely they will. And they'll be very well positioned um, to add some really quality pieces um, through trades and then also uh, via free agency. So I, I still think no unless it's an opportunity that presents itself that's just way too good to pass up. Uh, Gabe, same question to you. Agreed. I mean, I, there's nobody that I think is on the market that really makes sense for the Pistons, at least the you know the big names that are out there, people like Blake Griffin, maybe, maybe, uh, who's the other guy? Oh, yeah, Dwight Howard. <laughs> so there's, <laughs> I don't think there's really a natural fit. I, I think, what's his name, Bad Young on the Nets? Yeah would make some sense at least defensively, but I also don't think he solves the long-term offensive issues. So he's, I don't know. He, he doesn't move the needle for me really at all. So I, I totally agree. It makes sense to stand pat and just sort of hope that all the pieces that the Pistons already have that aren't healthy come back and, and see if, if that's enough to, to make you a, a dangerous team come playoff time. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you, and I, I think the the playing the long game it's not it's not bad to see. I mean, he took that chance for uh, you know took that chance for the future with the Reggie Jackson trade. Uh, we saw that the you know the next ten games that followed uh, it definitely hurt our chances of making the playoffs last season. So clearly, he has the idea of building a team for the long haul in mind, and I don't mind that. Uh, I don't know if it costs us the playoffs this season. I, I think we still have a very good chance of making the playoffs. So I would hate to see us risk part of our future uh, to to make a move just for this season, uh, especially when some of the players that are mentioned are just rentals. I don't I don't really think it's worth it to to take a shot on someone for one year. Yeah, and I think Gabe's point is is correct. There's <clears throat> it's not as if there's something on the market that's super appealing and solves a long term need right now. I mean, Blake Griffin is a heck of a player, but. Is he really a better fit than Greg Monroe was next to Andre Drummond? I don't know, maybe a little better because he's got somewhat of a mid-range jumper. Right. But not really. He's not a stretch four. And Thad Young in a vacuum, yeah, quality player, you know, fringe starter at at worst, sort of a six-man sort of player. But he doesn't solve any long-term problems either. He's not a stretch four, doesn't shoot the ball very much from outside at all. So it's hard for me to see that trade that would actually 
make sense over the long term unless you know teams are just really tight-lipped about what they're actually going to trade there doesn't seem to be anything that jumps off the screen saying yes this trade makes sense for the for the Pistons I just I haven't seen it yet yeah and if we're not interested in Blake Griffin Ben does that mean we shouldn't be interested in bringing Greg Monroe back (laughs) in a losing effort (laughs) that's right Greg in a losing effort Monroe I don't know what it is about him but I, 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 Sean's not here to defend him, so I think we can we can bag on him for a second. It's it's so interesting this Milwaukee season, and and to see the issues they're having, the the defensive woes after last year, uh, how the fit with Jabari Parker isn't working, and they can't find a front court mate for Greg Monroe. Uh, I worry about Greg Monroe being being a player that you can build around. I'm glad that we we decided to move forward without him. Uh, because I think our franchise is in a much better position without him. I will say that after this season. I uh, I like Greg Monroe. I always will like Greg Monroe. I think he sh- he shouldn't be your foundation piece. If he's your foundation piece, you're going to struggle. But that Milwaukee roster is just sort of a disaster, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, it is. They've got lots of interesting pieces, but none of them fit together. And they really need some guards who can shoot, in my opinion. Yeah, that would that would help. But Michael Carter Williams is not doing them any favors. Uh, I keep, OJ Mayo keeps making making appearances on the court. It's such a bizarre situation in Milwaukee this year. Uh, I expected Jason Kidd to figure it out. It just hasn't uh, just hasn't quite happened. Um, he might be better off as a player coach for that team. To be perfectly honest, with you. <laughs> he That's might. How bad he might. Be. Yeah, they might want to suit him up. It might be interesting. Uh, ben, I had a question for you. Uh, I was looking at the. Um, looking a bit at the cap numbers for the Pistons and, and looking forward to the offseason a bit. And, you know, it, it, it looks like, you know, Andre's contract and, and the hit that's going to take on the cap. Uh, I wanted to just pose this question to you. If the difference between the Pistons offering someone a max contract is getting rid of Ursan Ilyasova, we know he only has 600000 guaranteed toward next year. Uh, that's all the cap hit would be. Uh, so if the difference of us giving away a max contract is Ursan Ilyasova. Are you willing to cut him to probably upgrade his position, giving a max to someone? So for me, it depends on who that player is. If that player is Ryan Anderson, I say no, because Ryan Anderson isn't a max player to me. <laughs> um, but if the the player is Kevin Durant, then heck yeah, you do. And you, you thank Ursan for his service, and you slide Marcus Morris over to the four and you bring Tolliver back for the backup four minutes, and you start Durant at the three. Um, so, yeah, I think that's one of the really fantastic things about his contract. One, he's a useful player, but two, he's got this really team-friendly contract that could open up all sorts of space in terms of flexibility. And I think that also makes him a really, really interesting trade piece. Um, I don't think we will end up trading him by the deadline, but uh, I think that's one of the, the things that was in mind when he was acquired is – uh, he can be waived if we want to open up cap space or be a really uh, valuable and attractive trade piece. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely an option that's on the table. And the other thing I would suggest is that it doesn't necessarily have to be one player. It could be that you, you've made rooms for, for two players who are maybe making 7 to $8 million a year, and you waive Ursan in order to do it if those two players move the needle in the right direction. So, uh, yeah, his contract allows a whole bunch of flexibility Um Hardly anyone in the NBA has that sort of contract, so it absolutely opens up some space um, for the Pistons to be super creative this summer. Yeah, I guess I do have a, a small list of guys, and I'll just ask both of, both of you if you think they're worth a max for the Pistons. Guys that will be available this summer or restricted free agents. Uh, what about Al Horford? 
Would Al Horford be worth a max? Ooh. That's scary. I mean, I think in his prime, he would have been an absolutely perfect fit. But I think he about to turn 30, I'm pretty sure, if, if he's not already. Yeah. Which which seems as if it puts him on a, on a slightly different timeline than the rest of the core. But I would definitely be tempted. I mean, you could maybe make an argument that it could be together. So I would be tempted, for sure. I would say no, because of his age, and strictly because of his age. Always have liked his game, but yeah, he's he's a big guy who's about to turn 30. Yeah, that scares me a little bit. Uh, so let's go a little younger. I've got, I've got a, another another group here that are probably more, you know, playing the three and four. But let's say we have to get rid of Ursan to get one of these guys. Uh, what about Nick Batum? Yes. Yeah. Gabe? Yep. He's a pretty perfect fit. I mean, especially because he brings some ball handling and playmaking from the small forward position. And he's he's big enough to play to play a small ball four if need be in the playoffs uh, for, you know, a couple of minutes uh, for probably a pretty killer offensive, uh, you know, set. So it's, I don't know, I think he, he's a pretty ideal fit. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think it's going to be something to watch this offseason uh, with Charlotte, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, you know, what where what players they decide are, are part of that core going forward. Uh, I, it's a shame that Gilchrist is going to be, you know, it's a shame that MKG is dealing with another injury. Uh, probably this time it's going to cost him the rest of the season. So that might make Nick Batum, you know, a little more, a little more valuable to Charlotte. But I, I think that's someone you're, I think I agree with both of you. Uh, we would have to jump on. Uh, here's one that's probably a little more controversial. What about Chandler Parsons? I think, yeah, probably. I, I mean, he's, he's somebody, I'd have to take a closer look at his numbers, but I do think offensively he'd be a pretty perfect fit, at least in his, uh, when he's on, he's, he's a pretty much a do it all small forward. And again, he has, he has plenty of size to play some limited minutes at the, at the four. Uh, he's probably not as good an overall player as Batum. Uh, but but maybe a better, more consistent shooter. So I think I think he'd probably be another pretty good fit. Uh, it, it it might it might make me cringe to see what the total contract numbers would be. But I I think with the way the, the contracts and the whole like NBA landscape are going, it would be something that you'd have to be comfortable with probably. Ben, your thoughts on Chandler Parsons? I like Chandler. Yeah, I, I think um, you know the advanced stats don't love him as much as maybe his offensive efficiency numbers would suggest. I mean, he shoots a really, really solid percentage. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the advanced stats sort of give me a half second of pause. Um, The other thing he's not very good, not very good at right now is free throw shooting and or getting to the line. He's, you know, he he doesn't get to the line much. That's something I'd really like. I'd really like us to have one more guy other than Reggie who's capable of getting to the bucket and getting fouled. Um, but Emmett Chandler's a fantastic shooter. So from that perspective, um, yeah, he'd be a great fit. The other thing that would make me more interested in him than I would otherwise be is I do think Stan Van Gundy is one of the few coaches in the NBA who's capable of getting the most out of his players. I, I think yeah. he's a legit top, you know, top three coach in the NBA right now. Um, so putting a player like Chandler, yeah, he's 27, but probably still a bit teachable. Um, 
I think he'd be more appealing to me than he would have been three years ago under some of the other coaches we've had. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, though, just as Pistons fans, we can all agree, this break is coming at a really good time for this team. And I'm sure the next time uh, we get together for a podcast, Ben, coming out of the All-Star break, it's nice to get rest right now. Uh, of all the teams, especially in the Eastern Conference, it seems, this break is just coming at a really good time for this team. So I hope we do get rested. We see a healthy KCP after the break. Reggie's okay. And we can start to move forward and, and move forward with the playoffs in mind. Totally agree. It's the best time of the season for the Pistons to have some time off. Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, I, I think that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. So I appreciate both of you coming on. Gabe, thanks so much. We'll definitely have you on in the future. Thanks so much for having me. All right, well, thanks, Gabe. And uh, thank you, Ben, as always, for uh, joining me for another one. It's always a good time. Have fun watching the All-Star game and, and looking forward to talk to you afterwards. Absolutely. I'll be talking to you guys soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll be joining you right after the All-Star break. Thanks.